When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. An Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Jordan gets two. Oh, brother, lead to lead Oh, Oh, brother, lead to lead Welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am your co-host, Jason Mann, and with me as always is Rich Krejci. Rich, we're back. We are, yes. Thank you to thepodiumgame.com for not not yet kicking us off, but I, I feel any time. I, I feel like we're still slipping under the radar. I mean, I don't think people know that we're even doing this. It's, but. it's very funny. Well, as long as we can be part of the illustrious uh, Hardware Paroxysm Basketball Network uh, family of podcasts and uh, websites uh, that you can find on iTunes, by the way, and people should go there on iTunes, and uh, we are... We are part of that wonderful iTunes feed. They should leave uh, ratings and reviews to, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily for us, uh, but you know, for the other great podcasts that are um, that are on there. And we have a little caveat too. If you if you put a review there and then tweet at us, which is at OverbackNBA, uh, let us know that you put a review there, and we'll talk about whatever you want. Would you say two minutes? You, you said two minutes on whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, or, or basketball more, related, right? Least, or do we are we going to talk life? If someone wants minutes. to know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we prefer basketball only, but you know, I mean, we're <laughs> we're willing to. We have open minds here. If for some reason you're not on Twitter, you can just leave. Uh, you can leave it in the comments on this uh, post. That that mm-hmm. will work as well at thepodiumgame.com. So. Uh, yeah, so I guess we should begin. Our uh, our topic today is the life and career of uh, Reggie Lewis, the uh, Boston Celtics great who, uh, of course, tragically passed away young at uh, 27 years old. Uh, he was um, a, a Celtics captain uh, at, in his last season. He was kind of the torchbearer for the team once uh, Bird retired and at the very end of uh, McHale's and Parrish's uh, time with the Celtics. Uh, He was a one-time All-Star, just a really um, 
a really well-rounded shooting guard, um, very consistent in his numbers. You know, even though only had the one all-star appearance was an all-star level player, uh, you know, for, for four or five years, probably. Sure. And, uh, you know, what was, um, in the conversation for second best shooting guard in the league. I mean, obviously Michael Jordan is going to be number one, but, you know, along with somebody like Mitch Richmond or Joe Dumars or, you know, Reggie Miller, he was, you know, kind of right there in that class of guys who are, by the way, are all Hall of Famers. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting career. And the, and the thing that we always sort of get into with with him, and, we'll, and obviously we'll get into that during this podcast, is sort of, what he could have been, how he could have been. And there's some dangers in that of just sort of extrapolating out there. But you look at his numbers and you look at the career and you look at, you know, how old he was and 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 that team and how it was sort of built around him. He obviously was the cat. I mean, you see these things in place that really make you think. And you just mentioned that stat right there. All those guys were Hall of Famers. I mean, you look at a lot of dudes and, and a lot of guys that were like him, his comms, that sort of stuff. And you see a guy that that by all accounts, had he not gotten hurt or something like that, that would have been a really good player. I don't know if he'll be a Hall of Famer for sure. I don't know if I could say that with confidence, but I think it's obvious that he would have been a multiple-time All-Star and that sort of stuff. I mean, there's just there's too much evidence there. I mean, guys in the NBA don't do that where they have four or five, as you mentioned, All-Star seasons and then completely fall off, you know, at age 28 or whatever. I don't think that was going to realistically happen. I think he was going to have a, a fairly long career. I mean, albeit we don't know about injuries, but yeah, I mean, you can extrapolate to that, but it always gets weird if Hall of Famer, you know, what it, we've done, would he have revolutionized this, you know, we would have led Boston to championships. We, we have no idea about that, but at least you can extrapolate that this guy would have been a multi, uh, multiple-time All-Star. I think you're completely safe in doing yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you can see the path for him and for those Celtics teams to, you know, kind of continue the um, the Bird and, and et cetera legacy. I, you, you know, I mean, it was probably unlikely that they were going to, uh, you know, compete with the Bulls for championships unless they really got some great luck or a couple of those guys stepped up. But they definitely, you know, I I think those early 90s Celtics teams are a little bit overlooked. I mean, those are, there are some strong, you know, they, they fall off one year when Bird um, misses most of the season with injury. But they're, you know, they're high 50 to, or sure. to mid to low 40 or to high 40 teams. I mean, those teams are, you know, they had a couple of deep playoff runs. So, so those are, you know, some pretty good teams with obviously Bird and McHale and Parrish, you know, Bird and McHale retiring and then Parrish, the oldest of them all, you know, um, he had a few more years left, but obviously, you know, was at the, in the twilight of his career. So, um, you know, they, they did an interesting job of mixing those, you know, older players with the younger players. And we'll, we'll definitely talk about that as, um, you know, as this goes along. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think just, um, you know, kind of looking at him as a player, I mean, he almost feels like a a throwback even for the time. I mean, looks like sort of groundbound with and and really you know, not really having a lot of fancy moves, but just making the basic moves work. Yeah. Um, just having, I guess, kind of a different rhythm. Um, for his size, too, you watch, I mean, I, obviously we're a little limited in, in the amount of video that we really have from him, but given his size, you would sort of assume he was more of a, you know, a, a ferocious dunker and that sort of stuff and super athleticism. It wasn't really that. He would kind of use like old man yeah. nifty moves to, to, to score a lot. I mean, he obviously wasn't a three-point shooter. I mean, he was still super athletic, but I, yeah. a lot of the times when you see him score, it's a lot of these sort of you know, on the block, that sort of stuff. Working a lot of, I mean, it's similar in a lot of ways to how Scottie Pippen 
would score sometimes where he would sort of use a lot of the mid-range, a lot of kind of back-to-the-basket stuff, a lot of pump fakes to sort of generate his offense. He wasn't a guy, I mean, when you look at him, his size, and maybe even his frame, too, when you look at his frame, you would assume that this is a guy that would just jump out of the gym and just super, super insane athleticism. And, and he had that, but he didn't really rely on that as much as, as you would sort of assume. Yeah, that, which is, is interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who seems like he would fit in, like, the 50s and 60s, you know, just, like, the moves that he had. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and, yeah. um And the skills that he had. And obviously, you know, he, he managed to be – it would be interesting to see someone with his skill set translate today because of the lack of three-point shooting. But he was also, um, you know, so long and so rangy and so quick for his size that, I, you know, I, I think he obviously could have translated. Um, he's had those long arms on defense, um, you know, to get past defenders to get to the basket, you know, just with kind of those tricky moves. Um, you know, maybe learning from a guy like McHale, who also was kind of known for the niche sure. po- post moves, that, that certainly um, seems possible. I mean, it's obviously being um, tutored by guys like Bird and McHale is a, you know, a good way to get a great basketball education. Yeah, he definitely came in with the right, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's something that doesn't happen very often. I mean, there's only a few teams that can really, and we mentioned that it, it might have happened. I think it was our first podcast before the Kevin Love trade went down. We were talking about Scottie Pippen sort of getting acclimated, and we said Andrew Wiggins could do the same thing because he can kind of sit in the back and watch you know, LeBron and, and those guys do their work. Well, now obviously now he can't do that, so it, it just shows you how rare it is to have a, a guy like, just to have a guy, a, a budding star sort of have an apprentice, uh, apprenticeship because now we're so used to guys they're the number one pick and then they're relied upon okay you need to lead us to the next charge you know we suck we're awful you lead us to the next charge whereas you didn't really get that with the celtics and there was a few times in there where, where you know obviously with the len bias could have been that as well as a reggie lewis where you you sort of these guys could have sort of grown under and and in lewis's case they did grow under you know really talented guys on really good teams and that sort of propelled them when those guys were gone these guys were ready they were in their primes that sort of stuff so it was, it, it's interesting but it's, it's definitely rarity yeah and we're, you know, also of course talk about, um, you know, his tragic death at a, a, a young age. Sort of some of the controversy over the causes of that, you know, possible cause of that death, and um, just the different um, politics of doctors and um, how the team handled certain situations and uh, things like that, and definitely the outpouring of grief um in boston one when he died um just he was a guy who um you know he went to college in the area at northeastern um you know he was a local hero who gave out turkeys on thanksgiving i mean he was absolutely um a um a strong part of that community i mean they retired his number you know um a couple years later even though you know he was one of two players i think of the celtics who have retired numbers who um didn't win a championship so that you know that that says something too i think um and uh yes there's a lot to unpack here and a lot of interesting things definitely i'm I'm very interested in in Breaking it down, Reggie Lewis, from yeah. from beginning to unfortunate end. So we'll but, start know. off. I'm uh, <clears throat> going to be talking to um, Seth Partnow, uh, whose uh, favorite player is Reggie Lewis. So that'll be an interesting discussion. So we'll be back with him in just a moment. Okay, we're back with uh, Seth Partnow, who's a prolific uh, NBA writer, writes all over the Hardwood Proxism Network, including Nylon Calculus and many other sites. He's also the co-host of the Make or Miss podcast, which I've recently added to my iTunes feed and is a great listen. So, uh, Seth, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for having me, and thanks for the kind words. 
I understand that Reggie Lewis is uh, one of your favorite players. Uh, why? Why is that? Uh, he's no. It's, he is my single favorite player of all time. There you and go. I haven't. I haven't really had a favorite player. I've had the player I liked the best, but I've never had a favorite player uh, since since his untimely death in '93. So, uh, um, probably how it started is is I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan from from way back because my family's from Boston. Um, but he, I live in Alaska and grew up here, and he played in the Great Alaska Shootout and was the best player, which is the was is a you know a Thanksgiving time college tournament he was the best player by far on northeastern so i kind of liked him from that and then the celtics drafted him and then he became you know an all-star level level player and there was just something kind of i've always been drawn to kind of oddly versatile players and he was that kind of guy with his you know sort of strange rhythm of his game and the fact that he you know blocked a lot of shots for a two guard and and was a really good defender and 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 so just everything about him, kind of, I, I just thought he was a really special, unique player, and, and enjoyed him a great deal. Uh, how would you describe him as a player? Um, he's certainly not the the, the model of, of the modern three and D player because he never he never took a lot of three pointers. But uh, I, the way I've described him before is the really unique thing about it, about his game is. Uh, he played kind of a quarter beat off rhythm. Like if you think about uh, the, the, the move that always sticks in my mind is if you think about like a player, you know, pump faking and then doing something, it kind of happens on a four count. Like the pump fake is on one, the ball comes down on two, he goes back up on three and shoots on four. Well, he was the first guy and really one of the only guys I've ever seen do a thing where he would pump fake on one and go right up on two as as the player was coming down. And it was just, it was it was so... if you, you know, you watch enough basketball, you know what that move looks like. And it just, that looks different. That's, that's weird. And so that was, you know, uh, and then he was just a, a a long lanky athlete who, uh, like I said, didn't shoot a lot of threes, but you know, could, could move well off the ball and, uh, and you could score in a variety of ways that didn't involve a three pointer. Yeah. Um, uh, so. th- that's that about the rhythm is an interesting observation because, you know, c- kind of looking at the tape, he does a lot of moves and he, he beats people with moves that you don't think should beat them. Like he, he certainly was athletic, but he also kind of played a little bit old fashioned and, and was even a bit ground bound just in certain ways. I mean, he could, he could get up and he could finish, but um, he, he, I think that rhythm is a good way of describing it. And and actually, a, a kind of a, a more recent player who uh, who actually stylistically he he's very was very reminiscent of him was Brandon Roy, I think, because mm-hmm. Brandon Brandon Roy also actually a superior athlete, but uh, was you know only only busted it out when he really needed it and was was mostly kind of kind of crafty and herky jerky. And that's and and again, even though Roy was probably a little bit smoother than than uh, Reggie was, but it's they're very similar in style, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, ultimately, how good do you think he could have been? What you, what do you think his career track was 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 kind of trending toward? I mean, at the he he only made one All Star team, and and he possibly should have in in his last season in '93 as well. But I think there would have been, at that point, a legit argument for who the uh, second best two guard in the league. And then, you know, at that time when when uh, Jordan retired for the first time, whether whether the best two guard in the league 
would have would have you know been him. Um, that was probably right as Clyde Drexler was sort of starting to decline, and I think he was probably by acclaim the second best two guard. I think that uh, that the legend of Reggie Miller has kind of uh, uh, grown uh, after his playing days uh, to the point where he's maybe a little historically overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, not not that not to go all hot takey on Reggie here, but uh, 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 so I think that he might have might well have been by the mid '90s the the best two guard in the NBA. Gotcha. And um, do you have any favorite memories of him, or you know, or just kind of of those early '90s Celtics teams that he was a part of? Those are, I mean, those were really fun, uh, old fashioned teams. I mean, they, they shot a lot of mid range jumpers and post ups, which would just look really weird now. I remember on that team, Kevin Gamble shot something like 58% from the floor, shooting nothing but 18 footers, which probably says as much about the defense at the time as it does about, you know, his particular skill set. And, and they were just a, a kind of a fun, odd team because, you know, they had, these, these two, you know, large guards in, in Reggie Miller and Brian Shaw. And then they still had, you know, Kevin McHale still had a little bit left in the tank. And then, you know, D Brown was coming in and, and winning the dunk contest with, you know, providing, uh, you know, athleticism that was, you know, unheard of for the Celtics at that time. And uh, they, you know, they weren't really contenders, but they were, they were, you know, after, you know, Larry Bird retired, but they were, they were certainly fun teams, and you could see, you know, the way forward with with Reggie as as kind of the cornerstone of the new next generation of Celtics. Yeah, I mean, and then they, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was saying they were, you know, it, it surprised me looking at it because you just kind of think like, you know, the Celtics were basically done once the Pistons took over. You know, after after that '88 series, and they had, you know, they struggled in '89 with Bird missing most of the season, but they were a uh, you know, a 50-plus win team, or, you know, Reggie's last year, they won 48, um, although their uh, expected win-loss was 43-39, but still, you know, they were a, you know, very good team, you know, and, and they were able to kind of replenish with the younger stars. Yeah, and, and I, they they had some playoff battles with the Pistons during that time. I still remember a, an absolutely uh, atrocious offensive goaltending call against Kevin McHale by uh, Jack Mathis that that you know cost them a, a playoff game in a series that ultimately I think went seven games, uh, and that was kind of right at the tail end of 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 you know of McHale's career and it, and and I just remember I was you know pretty young at the time but just yelling at the TV and wondering why they couldn't replay it because it was you know the ball was two feet from the rim but <laughs> um, so though you know those those were you always understood those teams weren't going to win the title, but you, you, you liked them anyway, because they, 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 uh, you know, had, like I said, had some of that young talent and, and, uh, and still had enough of kind of the, the, the big three left to, to give it that, that Celtics gravitas. Yeah. It, it's, there aren't a lot of great examples of great teams being able to bring in young stars like that. I mean, obviously we have the San Antonio example um, in recent years, but, the, but it just, it seems like that is, you know, more difficult than um, I mean, it just ends up being a very difficult thing. Of course, you know, with, with the loss of Reggie, it, it you know, they, the team fell, you know, flattened and had, you know, a decade and a half of, of bad years, but uh, for the most part, um, but it, for a while it did work very well. Yeah, and and really, I mean, it, it, you think about it, and and it's obviously tragic for the individuals, but from you know to be a selfish sports fan, I mean, you, 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 it's impossible to not 
you know, do the what ifs with, uh, you know, uh, you know, Reggie Lewis and, and Lynn Bias and, and, and just think of how well that, that those Celtics teams could have, you know, retooled, um, you know, sort of on the fly. Um, and even, even San Antonio hasn't, hasn't really done that because, you know, uh, when Bird, you know, was phased out, they, they had another all-star right there ready to, you know, a guy who was right on the verge of becoming that, you know, elite level player, uh, you know, ready to step in. Obviously, Reggie Lewis was never going to be Larry Bird, but still, uh, having a, a superstar, what we'd now call a max player, ready to, to step in and fill the void is, is a, was a night, was a nice thing to have until, you know, he, he, uh, he collapsed on the court and then died later that summer. Sure, sure. You know, one thing that we noticed kind of looking at the numbers is that he just was ridiculously consistent through his career. I mean, his, his field, career field goal percentages has like a standard deviation of point zero one. Um, is this type of thing pretty common or fairly unique, or is it, you know, kind of a byproduct of, you know, he a, a relatively short, small sample size because of a short career? Um, I think it's, somewhat of, of the short short version of his career but also i mean his his style of play also kind of uh guys who shoot a lot of three-pointers you, you might see a, a bit of a, a wilder variation just because you know the a small difference in in the quality and location of of three-pointers can lead to you know big year-to-year swings in three-point percentage whereas you know a guy who's you know scoring off cuts off of pin downs off of post-ups is is getting you know consistently the same the same shots and that's and that was again that was you know reggie was kind of uh one one of the last of kind of the the mid post and in kind of kind of uh, effective wing scores Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um obviously you know when he died there was an amazing outpouring of grief of grief in the boston area and and you of course you didn't live there you lived in alaska but you had a lot of ties to that area you know can you kind of do you have memories of how you felt when you found out do you have you know family members or people who tied to the area do do you have kind of like a sense of what that felt like obviously it was very sad but just you know kind of the, the the depth and how important he was to that area I, you know, he was, uh, I think, hey, if I remember correctly, he did a lot of, you know, as NBA players, you know, did at the time and still do a lot of uh, community outreach. Um, but the, the big thing I remember about that is uh, there was a, a great deal of outrage. I don't remember which columnist it was, and I don't want to, you know, without remembering exactly who it was, I don't want to take shots because I thought it was, even at the time, I thought it was, you know, a horrific piece of, of journalism was us. Uh, Someone without really knowing anything, you know, came out with the with the story that that his death was caused because he was like a you know a, a, a habitual cocaine user, and there was remembering correctly there was no proof whatsoever of it, and 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 eventually I think that uh, that Reggie's widow uh, ended up suing the either the paper or the the writer or both, and and getting a substantial settlement for for you know what was really some very hurtful allegations. Um, for, from what everything that, that I can remember reading was just, uh, you know, a, a, a congenital heart defect that was the eventual cause rather than any kind of, and I think that was a, you know, sensationalized probably because of, of, you know, to tie in with, uh, with, with Len Bias. 
especially because uh, Lewis is was from Baltimore and, and Len Bias went to Maryland. And of course, you know, the, the, the Len Bias tragedy the, the night after he was drafted overdosing on cocaine. So. Yeah, and, and the NBA was still, you know, uh, I guess tainted somewhat by you know, most of the cocaine issues that had kind of plagued the league you know, had gone away or, or at least weren't, you know, <clears throat> causing the same kind of trouble that, that they had. But that was, you know, the first thing on some people's minds when that kind of thing happens. Yeah. And it was in, you know, it was maybe a, a vestige of, of, you know, Boston is for, for a, the longest time. And, and to some degree still might be uh, not regarded as the most welcoming city for a, for a, a black player to, to be it and, and that and and just kind of that that kind of rumor mongering uh, almost was reminiscent of, of that kind of ugly history going back to you know some of the stuff that that Bill Russell would talk about in terms of, of his treatment when he got to Boston mm-hmm. definitely um, so Seth can you uh, let everyone know if they want to uh, check out your work uh, where they should go yeah I think that as you mentioned I uh, I, I somehow managed to to spread my work over too many places on the internet so the easiest place if you uh want to catch up with what i'm writing is on my tumblr where i, I post links to everything it's just uh sethpartnow.tumblr.com and uh, and of course you're on twitter yes on twitter at, at sethpartnow all right well seth uh thank you so much for uh being on the show and uh sharing your insights on uh reggie lewis uh, thank, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's it's fun to talk about him. I haven't I haven't had a conversation about him in uh, in quite some time, and it's it's ni- nice to remember him again. Absolutely. Thanks. All right, and we are uh, back to talk about the um, the early life and first few seasons of uh, Reggie Lewis's career. Um, he grew up in Baltimore. Uh, you know, it's interesting because, of course, you know, when you, when you think of Baltimore, you definitely think of The Wire, the, the TV show. <laughs> but, I mean, this is def- – Reggie Lewis definitely grew up in a time in which, you know, the, the, even though The Wire takes place in the late 90s and early 2000s, it's really sto- real-life stories that happened. You know, I, I believe kind of more in the late 80s and early 90s. So he's – he's very much growing up in an environment like that. And if you, you know, if you've seen the wire, uh, that's certainly not a, you know, that, that's a hard place to, um, that's a hard place to grow up. So, um, and his mother had a cocaine addiction. Um, he actually ended up being cut from his public high school team, but then was able to make it on the uh, Dunbar high school basketball team, who was kind of a famed uh, local program. Uh, and he ended up playing in high school. He was a sixth man, and he played with uh, three future NBA players, Reggie Williams, David Wingate, and Muggsy Bogues. So that's a, that's a good team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a hell of a high school team. Yeah, uh, and they were undefeated both in his junior season and his senior season. They were ranked first in the nation by USA Today. Um uh, they were the, the the Dunbar Poets, which is just a wonderful team name. Yeah, what a great name. Yeah. What a great team. What a great name. I mean, just like that's it, to have three like that. That's you, you know what I mean? Like how often I'd love to really do. I, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to do that. And it might be hard to study. But how, uh, to have, you know, three or four NBA players on a high school team would be. Yeah, it, 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if there's a ton that, I mean, it's really hard to do that. Yeah, even, I mean, even the Oak Hill Academies of the right. world. I don't know if you can ever get a year where there's four, yeah, I mean, you know, NBAers on that same I, team. I, I would guess that's probably the only instance in which you, you, you know, might have that. Um, so uh, apparently he initially went unrecruited by most division one programs, but what, but Jim Gal- Calhoun, who was the Northeastern coach, um, decided to, um, decided to recruit him. And then he was a, a success from the beginning. Um, he ended up being the, uh, I believe at the time, the ninth best scorer in NCAA history. So, um, and then after that, in um, 87, he was drafted 22nd by the uh, Boston Celtics. Uh, the Celtics were just coming off a finals loss to the uh, the Lakers. And uh, so they obviously were a great team. Um, and uh, he, so he was coming into a situation in which... Um, you know, I mean, basically, uh, he, he during his first year he didn't play very much because you know there, he had all those guys ahead of him. But um, and the, the year before, of course, there was the overdose death of uh, Marilyn Starlin Bias, who was you know a uh, I think Boston had a I think he was like a t- like a number two or you know like a really high level pick. Um, Bias was so he was kind of expected yeah. to be. A future star. I'm not sure how Boston actually ended up with that pick. I- it was a weird. No, it was <laughs> some trade. I, I have it. But- yeah, let me let me figure out exactly because I have it here somewhere. It was a uh, it was some ridiculous like and it was back in the days when NBA GMs were just like apparently the biggest idiots in the world. Like you read books yeah. about how these guys made deals and they're like, yeah, whatever. And like, I forgot who they got for, for bias, but it was like a, a terrible, terrible, terrible reason well, for them. To yeah, like-, like on an aside that, that is, it's interesting how the Lakers and Celtics were able to build their dynasties by just taking advantage of those trades. I mean, that's, that's how, you know, the Lakers got the first pick for magic. You know, they traded Gail Goodrich at the end of his career to the jazz, you know, just stuff like that. Um, um, yeah, I, Byron Scott was the same way. Although the, the in, that, in that case, the Lakers traded Norm Nixon, who was pretty good. But um, yeah, th- this one was Gerald Henderson in cash <laughs> to the Supersonics for this pick. Jeez. So, um, yeah. so... <laughs> the AGMs were not very smart. And no matter how mad you get at Con and David Con and, and Glenn Taylor and all those guys, realize that you know it used to be a lot worse. And it would always go. It's something like it always went to the Celtics and Lakers too, which is just right, like, exactly. Uh, you know, they were able to game. Oh, weird. Yeah. We just won the NBA championship and we have the first pick. Hey? <laughs> like or the second pick. Hey, cool. They were able to game that system. So, um, the 88 season, um, he only plays 405 minutes in 49 games, which is 8.3 minutes a game. Uh, this would be the first year the Celtics had missed the final since 83. So they're only one of two teams um, to do four finals in a row in the four round playoff system. So um, the Miami Heat of 2010 or 2011 to 2014 would be the other one. Um, and uh, the, of course, the the uh, Celtics still had Bird, McHale and Parrish. They also had... Um, Dennis Johnson and Danny Ainge, and also they had Artis Gilmore and Jim Paxson. Uh, That's the Artis Gilmore Celtics era. I yeah, I believe it was only one season. So yeah, uh, like I I I can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah, I mean he was that was the 16th year in in the league. So uh, well, I guess in both leagues, but uh, yeah, he only had uh, that was his last season actually. So and he started that year in Chicago, um, and um, and then went to the. and then and then went to the Celtics. So, um, 
so so they were um you know they end up um that's the year where they have that classic second round playoff series against the atlanta hawks kind mm-hmm. of the hawks peak of uh you know in the dominique era of playoff success uh they, there's that great game seven duel with um with bird and dominique that the celtics end up winning because they always win and uh but then the celtics fall <laughs> not that you're not that you're upset no or anything. no i mean i wasn't really even a fan at the time so i'm not really sure why i would be upset but it's just like one of the looking things. back it's still yeah, upset exactly yeah. it's fair enough. um so the pistons um end up dethroning the um end up dethroning the celtics um and falling in the finals in a in a six game series lewis doesn't do much in those in that postseason he plays 70 minutes in the playoffs but you know he Seemed to to be willing to wait his turn. Um, Jackie McMullen wrote a um a column on ESPN.com, and she was covering the Celtics at the time. And recalled a story where midway through his first season, you know, she asked him how he was holding up, and he said, "I'm fine, just waiting my turn." So he, um, seemed to not have a problem with that, at least um from the outside. Which um, you know, I guess it just shows. Yeah, I mean, I, I know uh, there's pro- a lot of young players would not like being in the situation. They want to play. They want to yeah, contribute. And- and- um, you know, I, that level of patience and maturity um, you, you know, says a lot. And, th- and that seemed to be a trend with him when, when um, we're researching here and I'm looking through these articles and quotes of him. He was a very mild mannered, like nothing seemed to bother him whatsoever. It was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, you know what I mean? And it's, it's rare. I mean, you don't usually see players as good. I mean, as good as Lewis became having that sort of passive you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. he's just, he wasn't a very, I mean, most of those people are just like, yeah, I'm the best, you know, I need to be out there, you know, give me the ball, that sort of stuff. And that's, and that's healthy for some people. I mean, that's some people need that to be, you know, great players. Sure. And this was a guy who was just like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> if I get the ball, I get the ball. If I don't, I don't, but I'll score. If you know, it's just like, you don't, it's so rare. Yeah, he didn't, to have, he didn't have the alpha male thing going no, on. No, not at all. And, and yeah. he, you know, Jordan talked about how he was just a guy who just didn't do trash talk. He just, you know, tried to beat yeah. you. That, that was it. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting how, um, you, obviously just different personalities and, um, and it certainly worked for him. So <clears throat> the, um, 88, 89 season, they fall to 42 and 40. They do make the playoffs, but they lose to the Pistons in the first round. Uh, this is the year that, uh, bird has back surgery and I believe plays like eight games, um, yeah, six. six I, uh, yeah, six there games. Go, yeah, yeah. And, and it's even it not good in those six games either. I mean, scores what nineteen? I mean, nineteen points per game isn't bad, but I mean, sure. that's not bird. No, <laughs> come on. Exactly. Yeah. So um, they add uh, Brian Shaw and Kevin Gamble. They also trade Danny Ainge for um, Ed Pickney and Joe Klein, and these are going to be guys who are important to the team over the next um, sure. you know couple of seasons. Um, there's an SI. Um, uh, story, I believe it's Jack McCollum who wrote. He he wrote a lot of the Celtics stories during this time, and he wrote a book in um, about the ninety one ninety two Celtics. That's uh, I, they have an excerpt in, in SI Vault, and it's very interesting. I like to read the whole book sometime. But um, basically, talking about how you know just things you know they, <laughs> they've lost their bird and things aren't going well and they're struggling. And one thing they talk about is kind of how. Like the, the the minutes are divided between at small forward are divided between Paxson and then Reggie Lewis and also uh, Brad Lojas. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, just kind of everyone's kind of finding the role. And Lewis ended up playing most of his career at shooting guard, but I guess he did play the three a little bit here and there. Um, and and you had an interesting note there. 
Yeah, uh, actually, I was, I was kind of surprised when I was looking through um, a little bit of the stats on Reggie Lewis and similarity scores, which sometimes I, I there, there's times where I like the similarity scores to sort of look at and have fun with. There's other times I don't really like it, but I, I thought it was pretty interesting that, that Jim Paxson was mentioned in here, and he's actually the high similarity score through six years of his career of, of Reggie Lewis. So he's he's uh, number two. Uh, J, uh, Jason Terry is number three, which I thought was pretty interesting. And then you have uh, Earl Monroe, number five, and a few other guys. But the, the career most similar was uh, Phil, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Chenery, he's like a 1950s. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah, he's him either. So, yeah, I don't know either. But that guy, yeah, he's actually the most similar all time. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting that Paxson, of course, you know, he's such known as such a three point shooter, and that yeah, that's and that's that's one of the yeah, you know, obviously these are taken with a grain of salt, but they're interesting to look at. I think Um, Mm -hmm. it's just a kind of a and and similarity scores are mostly done by wind shares. I would like that's one thing that I hope. uh, Well, maybe Seth can get into that (laughs) after after he listens to this. Is somebody to to get a a really good like historical database of of something similar because. We have it with baseball, and it's pretty good. But with basketball, it's still just kind of like, yeah, these guys are close in win shares. But like, as we mentioned, Reggie Lewis and Jim Paxson, eh, I mean, yeah, you, you know, they're close in win shares, but they completely, yeah, there's nothing else that's even remotely close to, to either of them. Right, so, yeah. whereas like a Jason Terry, well, no, Jason Terry wouldn't do either because he's definitely a three point shooter. Yeah, yeah I, no, I mean, he Terry Kittles, like most of these guys are. are Terry does is a three point shooter in some respects, but he's also a you know I mean I think of him as kind of a mid range guy a mm-hmm. little bit as well. Um, although he's smaller and quicker I think than Lewis, but I mean he's def- yeah. definitely smaller and quicker than Lewis. But that's okay. Yeah. But similarity scores, there we go. Just a fun little there note. you go. <laughs> and then a mini rant on similarity scores. Um, so. so Lewis is third on the team in minutes, right behind Parrish and Mikhail. So he's definitely taking a big load. I, I guess as the season went along, you know that issue with their you know the three guys kind of being stuck. Um, it ends up sorting itself out with um, Lewis um, uh, uh, showing his talent and, and moving ahead. Uh, and there's one um, note here is, of talking about like uh, it's it's from a Slam Online article where in the 17th game of uh, of this year, it, it, Lewis uh, he had 33.6 rebounds and four assists going head to head with Jordan. And it seemed like Jordan you, you, there there's some some interviews with Jordan where he kind of talks about going up against Lewis. And it seems like that was a guy he enjoyed that challenge. You know, they, mm-hmm. they liked, you know, going against each other. So that's, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, that's a nice way to step up too. That's uh, sure. Yeah. There are three points on Jordan at that, in that area. And, too, yeah, I mean, that, Jordan that's, that's, was, a, that's a tough defender. Jordan yeah, I mean, at that defensive point. Defensive so. player of the year and all that. So, um, absolutely. Um, so like I said, they fall to the Pistons again in the first round. That this is the Pistons' first championship season. So you know that they were the eighth seed. That was nothing mm-hmm. was going to happen there. But um, so eighty nine and ninety season, uh, they end up uh, being a lot better in the in the regular season. Um, Fifty two and thirty. This was actually uh, Jimmy Rogers' second season as coach. His first season, of course, is the previous year. And um, there is a there's a good article about kind of the transition between, you know, sort of the old Boston and the new Boston and um, kind of the idea of, of, okay now we're starting to kind of move to the young players a little bit. And Rogers trying to incorporate a new, um, more balanced offensive system and Bird, you know, and the veterans sort of being like, okay, well, we like the idea, but it's not necessarily in our comfort zone, and we're not sure it's going to, uh, you know, work for us. And also, to Bird, AK, we're old. Oh, yeah. And also, <laughs> yeah. Bird talking about new players struggling with team defense. And, yeah. um, and it reminded me of like Steve Nash on the Bill Simmons podcast talking about like Mike Brown trying to institute the, like the Princeton offense. 
with mm-hmm. those guys and how like they didn't quite understand it and how it just like ran them ragged and that kind of thing where something might be like a, a good idea in theory, but just, you know, um, doesn't work. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the case here because the, the um, Celtics were obviously a much more successful team, even though they did end up falling in the first round of the fifth seeded Knicks. Uh, they were up 2-0 in the series and then they ended up uh, losing in the uh, last three. But um uh, you know, but but I but they still yeah, obviously they do bounce back quite a bit from the previous season. Yeah, and, and installing new offenses and that sort of stuff is always an issue, and it's it's I think it's up to really good coaches, and, and you can sort of tell the difference between really good coaches and what and whatnot of of guys that maybe try something for a few games and you see it, and then they kind of know okay this is not or you know there's a few practices and and you can kind of sense, okay, because there's, there's a lot of coaches that are kind of rigid in, in, in what they, you know, this is my system. I, you know, I want you guys to learn the system. Some guys thrive in that some guys don't. And it's, it's up to good coaches. I think in my mind to really alter what they want, what their systems are. Cause you get situations where it just doesn't work. Like, yeah, like, as you mentioned, Steve Nash and the, I mean, you, you could tell that that thing wasn't going to work in LA and it was just like, no, we're going to keep on trying for a while. And, and, and sometimes you get that with D'Antoni teams as well, where D'Antoni, I, I, I think he's a really good coach, but there's situations, especially like, you know, his, his latter years in, 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 uh, New York, where it was like, all right, you know, I, I know this is what you kind of do, but it's it's not working. You know, it, it doesn't. So it, there's there's something that to be said there. I mean, I think a good coach is one that can kind of get in the way, but then when necessary, sort of back up and let and let the guys just do what they're you know most comfortable with and best at. Because you get to this this long thing where yeah, okay, we're gonna try for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to try to get this offense to work and that sort of stuff, and you're already you know you're halfway done with the season now. And I think reading these articles, that was something that they, the Celtics were sort of being like, all right, you know, we can do, you know, let, let's, let's reel it in a little bit here, but you know, that's, they, they were definitely an improved team. So you can't hurt with that, but, and, and you don't know exactly what it was. It could have just been guys getting old as well. Absolutely. And, said, so. um, you know, th- there's, uh, after the season is done, there's a piece for as another SI piece on how, like, uh, basically the Lakers and Celtics are faltering and here's some ideas of how they, can get better uh there's kind of some wacky ones one of them is just talking about you know uh have larry bird transfer a lot of the scoring load to uh, reggie lewis who's the go-to guy of the future and he start to he's got to start getting gone to uh it's hard to say but uh but (laughs) i but i that i'm sharing that with the idea of course like okay people are viewing lewis as like a guy you know as a future star in 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 his third season you know yeah, and he's, he's scoring 17 points a game now, and then there's people saying, you know, Larry Bird needs to pass the ball to him, which is pretty, I mean, like, it's hard to wrap your head around, but it shows you the, the amount of talent he had, and that's why earlier in the podcast I mentioned that this wasn't a guy that that was sort of, I mean, you don't hear that stuff about every other player, you, you know what I mean, where they, they want a legendary player to start, you know, giving giving shots to Reggie Lewis. I mean, they, people could sense it, and they knew that this was going to be a good thing, and we saw in a few years it would be a very good idea. Yeah, absolutely, and... um so the um, so the next season, um, well, or I'm, well, there's one. It wasn't necessarily referring to the season, but uh, I thought there was a kind of a nice quote uh, from that slam piece of of a Jeff Twist, who was a veteran uh, Celtics PR guy, who just sort of said that he didn't he didn't want to try to be the next Larry Bird, the next Dennis Johnson. Reggie wanted and was starting to carve his own place inside the Celtics lore, and it's, it's a good way to sort of. Um, you know, look at it of, of, you know, trying to um, have your own identity while still kind of respecting the stars who are there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the um, the 90-91 season, they're even stronger. They're uh, 56 and 26. They're a, a second seed. They um, they beat the 
Ergs. I'm sorry, just a second. Uh, I'm looking yeah. at the wrong, uh, looking at the wrong page. <laughs> they end up uh, beating the Pacers in the first round in go. five games, and then they, uh, and then they lose again to the uh, Pistons. In so they lose three out of four years to the uh, Pistons, which would, which of course I'm sure was frustrating. This, of course, '91 is the first Bulls championship year. I, I, mm-hmm. I do wish there had been a. Um, you know, a prime Bulls versus prime Celtics. Yeah, there never really yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there was, of course, there's the 86 series when Jordan, you know, has the incredible, how many points was that in the 60s? Right? Uh, 60, 63? Yeah. Yeah, okay, 63 points. But, but, Somewhere in that range. 60, yeah, but, but the be. Bulls were not, were a very bad team who happened to make the playoffs. And, and the yeah, and, the, and that, that performance was literally him shooting, like, I think like 90%. I, sure. I, I don't know. 90%, but, I mean, there, but it was just kind of like, get out of the way, idiots. I'm just going to try. I mean, that exists. And that's you cool. all suck. And, and, and true. That exists. And that's cool. But it would be nice. To, it would be been cool if they mm-hmm. would have had a series that where both teams were at, you know, relatively close to their peak levels. You know, I, I think that would have been a fascinating Yeah, the, the bird, a uh, peak bird versus peak Jordan would have been fun to watch. Especially, I mean, yeah. these teams would have been great. Like this particular season would have been awesome to see because you have Lewis coming to his own. You have Bird who's, who, who's struggling. Or he, or he's, I mean, his back's killing him, but he's still... This is a pretty good year for him, and just all around, it would have been a lot of fun because this was a nice, athletic, young Celtics team, kind of blended with the old teams with that dominant Bulls team. It would have been, yeah, this this particular season I looked at and, and thought, man, this would be great to watch a Bulls season with them. But damn Pistons, yeah, <laughs> ruining everything. They're making, making everything not fun. There you yeah. Go. yeah, killing Bulls years, killing this. Uh, so you know, there's even more. You know, I. Brian Shaw spent a year in Italy, but then came back to the team. There's also rookie D. D Brown, who kind of became a star because of the dunk contest. Uh, Rick Fox is also a rookie on this team. So there's just kind of that, you know, that that young core there. Uh, And in fact, the Celtics created a marketing poster declaring the changing of the guards, which featured uh, Lewis and Shaw towering over the parquet with championship banners in the background. Um, also the night and, uh, Kevin, uh, I was gonna say Kevin Gamble was great in this year too. And, yeah. and, and he had a little run here with Boston where you sort of forget because he was just, just such an afterthought for most of his career, but this little chunk right here, he was great. I mean, this year, 15.6 points per game on, and he's only 25 years old too. So you have another guy that you're really looking at like, Oh wow, this is another piece that they have for the future. I mean, it's a stacked team. If you really look yeah, at it, I, you know, a, a nice, and again, a nice blend of the veteran youth. They also have uh, Charles Smith, Derek Smith and Michael Smith who, who, who play a combined <laughs> four thirty-five minutes. Um, so the Smiths, um, who the hell is Dave Popson? <laughs> I'm looking at that now. Who the hell is Dave Popson? Yes. Uh, well, he averaged 1.9 points per game. So I think I'm alone in, or I, I, it's okay that I don't know who Dave Popson is. So, yeah. so, so th- this is the season in which Jack McCallum wrote the book. Um, and uh, talking about um, – there's a couple interesting anecdotes. Uh, one is talking about a game in which um, – you know, Lewis had been the star of the game, but talking about, um, you know, how great Larry was um, and like all great ballplayers, he always does something. No matter how bad he's been shooting, he does something. And then McCollum writes inside. Perhaps Lewis is wondering if he could be the type of um, player someday. Um, to Lewis, Bird was respected not because of his shooting ability, but because of his gutsiness, his insistence on taking the big shot and making it when the game was on the line. And then there's a quote from McHale say, saying, something's really going to go out of this franchise when Larry leaves. And I guess to a lesser extent, Robert and me too, but mostly Larry, they're going to really like a guy like that. Somebody who's going to have something special. Um, I really believe Bra- Reggie, Brian, and D are going to be good, real good, but they're going to need that other element, that element of toughness, something special. So, 
Um, and I agree. I mean, he's yeah. saying right there, he's saying one of them is going to have to be a star. I mean, one of them is really, or, or two of them really are going to have to emerge as stars. And I think you can sort of see that with this team. I think we're, we're talking about Reggie Lewis in a way where, you know, we thought he'd be a multiple-time all-star. But would he be, I, I have trouble with this, and especially looking at this roster, which I said was super talented, but you wonder, and especially looking at the tra- uh, trajectories of all these other guys, that would they have ever been that, you know, a real time. I mean, they would have been a playoff team, I think, pretty frequently, but I don't know if they would ever be a title contender, yeah. even with Reggie Lewis as big, because you're still sort of lacking, as, as Mikhail's sort of saying, you have Lewis, who could be an all-star, but you're lacking that, like, that superstar, and then that secondary guy. It would almost have to be Lewis as the secondary guy, and then someone else. Yeah the superstar or i mean we never know lewis could have been that but it, it, I, I'm, I'm with them on that i i do agree sure and yeah d brown didn't really end up being anything in particular of a player you know he's okay but he was not you know i mean he was famous because of that dunk contest and that was about it uh shaw kind of you know he ended up being he was fine but yeah, yeah he just kind of he, he became a role player after like three right, years and just kind of yeah. did that for the next 15 or his whatever numbers you know yeah. dropped considerably i mean he was on some good miami and some great laker teams but and you know maybe he contributed more than his numbers but i mean he they went in the tank after he was traded which would which would be the next season so um so one another game stands out would be um, from March 31st, 91, uh, Lewis blocking uh, Jordan four times in uh, one game. Um, and um, and then also, um, you know, scoring 25. And um, as he's described as you utilize his lethal first step to keep Chicago's defenders guessing. Was he going left or right? Would he shake you with that explosive first step and attack the rim? Or would he suddenly pull off? pull up after one devastating dribble and hoist his trademark praying mantis jumper. I think the praying mantis jumper was, was Calhoun's um, in, invention. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then um, bird saying that um, there were a few guys in the league. I hated a guard because you didn't know what they were thinking. I'm glad Reggie was my teammate because he was one of them. So, yeah, and that, and that speaks to what we were talking about when you watched the videos of him that that and and Seth talked about it in his interview as well, where there was that weird sort of he would pump fake and then he'd go right up for there, and and guys are just not. I mean, that's not something you're used to. And he was a very unorthodox player. It was the moves were weird. His the way he dribbled was sort of weird. It was just it was, you know, obviously we're still pretty limited in the in the stuff we can see, but you can definitely tell that he's just a in an odd player. It seems hard to guess. I mean, you can see even when you know a guy like Michael Jordan is guarding him that Jordan doesn't have any idea what his next move is going to be. And that, that's, that's really something special. Yeah. So in that uh, playoff series against the uh, Pistons, uh, Lewis, uh, I mean, he leads the team in scoring. Um, you know, Bird only has 13 points uh, a game. Uh, Lewis has 22 or almost 23 points, um, six and a half rebounds, two point assists. So, you know, with, a, you know, good, a good shooting line as well. So, um, you know, he's definitely, you know, um, really starting to be, you know, a, a go-to guy, you know, I mean, obviously it's going to be still bird in certain situations, but, um, but he's definitely um, carrying that weight now. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And, and you're starting to see the, the, the building blocks of that next uh, Celtics team really taking shape with, with, with Lewis being one of the center points. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, well, we're going to take a, uh, a little bit of a break, and then we're going to uh, be back with a whole lot of Reggie's. Mm-hmm. 
right, and we're back, and we're talking, as Jason said, a whole lot of Reggies here, and we're talking about the memorable basketball Reggies. And and one interesting note before we get into those is 1987 draft, which is when Lewis was drafted. There were three Reggies. You have Reggie Williams, Reggie Miller, and Reggie Lewis all in that draft. So that's pretty interesting. The the <laughs> the main Reggie draft, and we're gonna have our own Reggie draft here in a second. No, I'm just all right, yeah, that, every Reggie ever. That'd be exciting. <laughs> just, yeah, I I don't know. My number one yeah, pick. Yeah. My number one pick. Yeah. I mean, are we talking about just basketball Reggies, or are we talking about any? No, everything. Er, yeah, every everything. Reggie with. Oh, okay. Well, you know, we'll have to. We'll, we'll see how that goes. I'd probably still go Reggie Miller, who, who's my favorite Reggie of all time. Probably. I, I can't think of. I'm trying to. Is he my favorite Reggie of all time? Yeah. He's got to be. I think. I mean, who? who <laughs> I mean, well, I'm trying to think of Reggie other... Jackson, the baseball player, he was in um, Naked Gun. So yeah, that's I'd, true. I'd probably be, have yeah. to go with him, even though Reggie he Bush apparently he... was a horrible per a person who everyone yeah, hated. Pretty... But um, <laughs> regardless, Reggie Bush, also, the the, the, have... the CEO of Nintendo, the president of Nintendo. I have Reggie Jackson's rookie card, so Ooh, it's not nice. in very good shape, but. And baseball cards are worthless also, but, you know, I do have it, so. Reggie Wayne, Reggie, yeah, there's not a lot of Reggies, actually. I'm kind of looking through the, I just Googled Reggie, and they're pretty much only basketball and football players with, like, a, a few other ones. But, yeah, okay, sure. well, that's, that's, that's quite interesting. But, yeah, here's some other Reggies here that we found um, in our research of, of Reggies. Reggie Evans, who's a current, uh, obviously, the current player. He still plays, right? Yeah, he's on the uh, Brooklyn yeah, right now, right? Yeah, he played for the Kings last year. I don't know if he signed. Yeah, I don't know if he was did, traded. Yeah. He might, I mean, he's getting to the point where he might be done, but, you know. That's my guy. You know, I could see, he's a great. You know what? I could see him being somebody that the Cavs get for some rebounding, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that, that that's how I would use him, too, in, in, in NBA 2Ks. I would always, like, I, I would get to, like, kind of later rounds of, like, I say I would do a fantasy draft or whatever. I don't know if you, you still play NBA 2K or do any of that stuff. So I'll do, like, a fantasy draft, and I get to the end, and I'm like, ah, I don't have any, you know, I need a good rebounder or whatever. You just sort by rebounding. Yeah. And here's this guy. He's like a 55 overall, but he's like a 98 rebound. You're like, boom, perfect. <laughs> like, you just throw him in there. He just gets a few boards and passes it immediately and doesn't do anything. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's Reggie. He led, yeah, he led the league in rebounding percentage a couple times. You know, so he's definitely a, a, a great rebounder. Also, a, a noted ball squeezer. Um, <laughs> was that Chris Kamen? Who's um, I. I believe it was Chris Kamen, but I uh, I forgot to look at exactly whose balls Reggie Evans squeezed. But uh, there actually <laughs> might be more than one incident incident of that. But um, you know, I feel like I and he would not be a guy who would want to do that because I mean he has such great hands. Obviously, from that's what I mean. He's such so, a good rebounder, and he's clearly you know that's uh, it was yeah. Chris Kamen. So okay, okay, well yeah, yeah, it's not the guy I would want. Yeah, I would want. I've been on a lot more people before. I'm Reggie Evans do that. Uh, yes, okay. Doctor, <laughs> you, have, <Yes. laughs> you have Reggie Harding. Yes. Who was you? Who was you mentioned was the uh, you wrote in the notes here the first high schooler drafted by the NBA, but had a troubled life and uh, was dead at age 30. Yeah, he had. Um, uh, he did actually play in a couple of uh, pro leagues before he went to um, the NBA. So, so it, it, he wasn't exactly straight out of high school, but um, but yeah, I mean, he was definitely. Uh, I'd never really heard about him, but he just kind of bounced. I mean, he had definitely guy. And he's mid sixties for people that that, that yes, aren't aware. Exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, he's he's a mid sixties player. Um, he. Um, uh, played for the Pistons for a little while. He was from Detroit area. Um, he, you know, was just a guy who was regarded talent was just a mess. Um, and um, he had a whole lot of legal trouble. He had a whole lot of. Uh, he ended up. There's a story where he um, 
ended up trying to play for the after his NBA stuff. So he went to the Bulls for a while. Then he played for the uh, Pacers and he ended up having a kind of an odd contract situation. And because of this, having so many fines and suspensions for missing practices and being late for flights, he ended up owing the team $4,000 by the end of the year. <laughs> so, and unfortunately he, uh, yo, and I, I, I'm pretty sure this is in loose balls where um, later on after, you know, he was out of basketball at age 25 after all, he started um, robbing liquor stores at yeah, um, yeah. yeah in his hometown of Detroit. And people, and you know, one instance where the clerk took one look at him and said, "You know, oh, I know that's you, Reggie." And to which he replied, "It ain't me, man." You know, so <laughs> right, yeah, that, that, that's the one. Yeah, he's also the guy who threatened to, uh, uh, I think, shoot uh, both his general manager and one of his teammates in the same there, year. There so. you go. So impressive. Yeah. Uh, so Reggie Harding. Eat your heart out, Kelvin uh, Arenas. And yeah, that's James Crittenden. You got That's no good. And yeah. um, uh, there's the the other Reggie Jackson, who is the emerging young guard for yep. for Oklahoma City. He's you know pretty good. Might have a uh, you know career as a decent starter and a uh, a nice player. Obviously, he's on, he's on a good team for that. Um, and then Reggie Johnson, who is a journeyman forward in the early 80s. And I, mm-hmm. I, what I thought was interesting is he, in 82 season, he played uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he played 21 games with the Spurs, 23 games with the Cavs, and 31 games with the Kansas City Kings, which, um, you know, which is 79 total. I don't know if there's any other player who has played that many games for three teams in a season, you know? At least twenty-one games. Yeah, it's a full. It's a it's a full season, but with three. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd we should do we should do some research. Yeah, that, on that. that's a hard one to look up. Just in the you know, uh, <laughs> we'll have to you know see if basketball. Maybe if somebody else knows, somebody else knows that trivia. I don't yeah. know if they listen to the show yet, but right. um, maybe they do. Maybe this is the the impetus. Someone's gonna say, "Hey, I know you know this." So listen to the show. So and then of course there we go. Yeah, then of course there's Reggie Miller, who of course you yeah. know the greatest pacer of all time. One one of the players that you love. Uh, one of the I'm deeming him the greatest Reggie of all time. One, doing it. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think the broadcasting work. I don't know how you feel about that, but um, yeah. yeah. So that doesn't help a lot. But <laughs> or the baby teeth. I could do without the baby teeth and the broadcasting work, but otherwise he's sure. he's my he, man. So. He's a uh, you know top ten, maybe top five all time shooting guard. Um, great three point shooter, one of the greatest of all time. You know, Hall of Famer. So uh, obviously he won the uh, of the three players in eighty drafted three of the three Reggies drafted in eighty seven. He was definitely the best. So. Yeah. Uh, and there's Reggie Theus, who, uh, you know, play was a guard for the some 80 early 80s and then late 80 early 80s Bulls teams, late 80s Kings teams also played uh, for Atlanta, Orlando and New Jersey in three straight years. Um, and, uh, and and maybe more importantly, it was two time all star with the Bulls and maybe more importantly was the star of the Saturday morning teen show Hang Time. Oh, yes. So. Definitely more I've important. I've never actually anything. seen Hang Time, but um, no, I was an Ahmad Rashad kid. I grew up with uh, Inside Stuff, so sure. yeah, no, I never saw Hang it Time. Was but... a, it was part of that like teen NBC block, like it was uh, with Saved by the Bell, the new class. Like I was a little, mm-hmm. I was too old for that by that that point. But I remember when NBC went to all they when they took away cartoons and went to all um, live action shows. That was kind of a. Yeah. That was an upsetting moment of my childhood, even though I was probably a little bit too old to be watching cartoons by then. It was still, you know, no, you're never too well, old. Yeah. 
Um, and then, uh, of course, Reggie Williams, we mentioned, a high school teammate of uh, Lewis. He, he was the fourth overall pick in this draft and, and was a disappointment you know, for, by those expectations. Uh, was drafted by the Clippers, played there for a few seasons, and kind of had a long run with uh, the Nuggets, um, who were mostly not a good team when he played there. I guess he was on the uh, Nuggets that upset the uh, Sonics in 94, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was, yeah. So, but was that still – he was on the run and gun. That was mostly run and gun. Denver at that point, right? Or no? At, the, at this point, they had sort of no. This is still Westhead. So yeah, okay. I was looking at his years. Yeah, uh, his, his maybe, mostly maybe his high scoring years. Yeah. Well, the, okay. There's an inter- there's and then you have the assault. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, because his shooting numbers go way down per one hundred possessions. As yeah. You know, well, I guess <laughs> that wouldn't be influenced as much so much by the um by the pace. But no, that's why you try to look at that. Yeah. If you look at the raw points right. per game, you can tell the difference when when Westhead is gone. But yeah, the one hundred makes it a little bit more neutral. Ex- but. Exactly. Yes. Um. Because they were literally getting 100 possessions for a game, so that yeah. So, um, so not much of an NBA player, but you know, a uh, he played for Georgetown. I think he was a pretty good college player as well. So, um, uh, so yeah, those are the, there's our Reggies. Those are the most notable Reggies that. Uh, there's not a lot of Reggies. I thought well, it, it, when were, I initially looked at this list. There were a few uh, more, but I um I I, I kind of called this down a little bit. There's Reggie Bullock yeah. who plays for the uh, Clippers now, but he hasn't oh, sure, done right, anything right. in the league yet, so there wasn't much to say about him. Although we mentioned yeah, him, no. so I guess he counts. There you go. Well, there he is. So he gets a little. Hopefully, his basketball reference page. We can spot to that one now. So. There, there you go. There you <laughs> go. So, all right. So we'll be right back here talking uh, 92, 93 seasons, and of course uh, Reggie Lewis's untimely death. We'll be right back. To talk about the uh, the end of uh, Reggie Lewis's career and his uh, sudden death and aftermath of that, and um, we're going to start with the 91-92 uh, season, which probably was his best uh, statistical season. Um, and he was an all-star that year. Um, although, you know, we, we, I do say that, but he, like we said, he was remarkably consistent over his. Um, his career statistically. And I know you're going to talk about that a little bit toward the um, end of the show, but regardless, he was, you know, um, getting that level of recognition as, as an all-star at that point. And, and that's a star studded all-star game too. And then, and you, if you look up, you know, Reggie Lewis, all-star, you'll recognize those jerseys immediately. I mean, that, that's, that's one of those all-star games that, that is really just remembered and, 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 and cherish a lot and for him to be in that game is just incredible i mean when you really really think of it because that's that's a, that's a cast yeah that, that and, year and that of course was the year that you know, magic johnson had announced his retirement at the beginning of the 92 season because of hiv but he was voted to play in the game and they let and you know they he he, he agreed to play um bird retired at the end of the season so there's just uh you know both those players leaving you know within nine months of each other or so is you know is pretty incredible given what you know what they meant to the nba um and um 
and yeah, but absolutely, yeah. But you know, those um, guys being involved in because you start, it, and, and this is the time. This is right around, and we mentioned it with the Celtics, where this is right around the time when you're starting to get this sort of blend of the 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 last generation to the new. I mean, you look at the Eastern Conference All Stars. It's Isaiah, you know, MJ, Bird, Barkley, Ewing. So you're starting to get a few guys in there. You know, obviously the Ewing is 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 not young, but he's sort of getting in there. But then you look at the bench, and you got guys like you know Dumars, who's who's old. But then you have Lewis, Pippen, um, Dennis Rodman makes his. And, and, and on the West, you see it pretty different too. You get a, a pretty relatively young David Robinson. You get Carl Malone, who starts kind of getting in there a little bit. Um, Tim Hardaway is on that. Uh, Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, you know, John Stockton. So you certainly it's just a really star-studded All-Star game if you really look back at it because it's a nice blend of the two eras where it's not too much in that you know of, of the 80s but you're starting to get a little bit of those 90s guys that would become the stars in there as well as you know the 80s guys yeah. so and, and you can tell by the way the team's minutes were distributed now that it was definitely like the younger players are i mean lewis and gamble are one and two yeah. lewis having three thousand minutes that year then Parrish is third and then um you know bird is sixth and mikhail is eighth even rookie rick fox is ahead of mikhail so um so you know at this point that transition is even more um uh you know is even further along um and then brian shaw was uh traded during the mid-season for sherman douglas and at least statistically boston kind of got the better end of that deal because because douglas actually played pretty well for them for a few years sure yeah um which surprised me and shaw, as we mentioned yeah. sort of Fit, just became a role player. Right, yeah, Charles. So. I Charles, a guy. I don't know why, but I thought his career was better. Maybe just because of some of the teams that he played for. Yeah, I, I thought that same thing too. And then in doing the research for this, I liked his basketball, and I was like, yeah, he's okay. I mean, yeah, it's the stats don't pop out. He might have just been one of those guys that's just a better teammate and a better player than than the stats really suggest, which I think is probably true given you know what he did and what roles he played on, on the teams he did so i'm not sure how much this means but um at the time lewis was the only celtic to have had 100 rebounds 100 assists 100 steals and 100 block shots in a single season that's hey good enough for me that's an elias sports bureau approved <laughs> yeah. there you go nice beautiful round number yeah. so that's good enough for uh, me. of course he had 394 rebounds so it's, so it's sort of a weird i guess it's like way better <laughs> than 100 but you know hey um, and then, um, I, I think the, the, the big, like the real final punch in that, okay, this is now Reggie's team even more than maybe it's birds team is that, um, 92 playoff series against the uh, Cavs. So uh, they, they sweep the Pacers and then they play a seven game series against the Cavs and the Cavs were really strong, um, at that point. And, um, and Lewis is just um, – Bird has to miss some games in this series. He plays four games and only starts two of them. Um, so Lewis really has to step up, and he's just incredible during this series. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I ran some numbers on just his incredible uh, run during during the season. And, yeah, it's – this is really – I mean, we're sort of looking at what – you know, we're just mentioning these little nuggets here and there of, okay, he's, you know, he's, he's getting better, you know, he's starting to get more minutes, but I think this is really the series where you can tell, okay, you know, this guy is, is, this is something special now. This is getting, this is becoming the guy. I mean, this is his team now. And, and this series especially I thought was, was just super dominant. I mean, you have, um, averages uh, let me fire it up right here oh yeah his average is 28 points in this series, which is, is pretty awesome. And does it on 54.7% shooting, which I thought was 
I mean, that, that's, that's a, a good number for, especially if you know the types of shots that he's taking and that sort of stuff where they're not, you know, not all around the basket. He's not a big man. He was a guy who's taking a lot of mid range and, and, and became the focal point of the, of the other team's defense as well. Um, average game score of about 22.5. Uh, didn't do it too much in the other stats of 4.3 rebounds per game, 4.3 assists and 2.4 uh, steals per game. So, so pretty good steals, you know, okay. Assists, not that great of rebounds, but the points, man, 28.1 is, is, is incredible. And, and he has a flurry here. He's got a 36 point game, a 42 point game. You know, he has one, the, the game one, he has 18. And then after that, it's 26, 36, 42, 27, 26, 22. So, I mean, the guy, he he, he stepped up in the biggest way possible. Yeah, and, so. and after that game four, you know, there's an essay article talking about, like, how there's the table. They capitalize it and where they do the post-game interviews. And usually it's obviously Bird, McHale, and Parrish first. Um, but this one, it was, you know, even Kevin Gamble, who suggested that Lewis be the first to hold court there. And he did. And, and then McHale saying that he's getting very reminiscent of another guy we've had around here, obviously referring to bird. So, um, so yeah, just, just some great stuff. Of course, they end up losing that series to the uh, Cavs and that was a really strong, you know, Cavs team that year. Um, I mean, I, I mean, the Cavs are another franchise that just because the bulls cast such that shadow in the, um, in the you know throughout most of the 90s that the a lot of the eastern conference teams particularly the ones where they didn't necessarily have a big playoff series against are 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 kind of forgotten i mean the Cavs have a little bit of that in the 80s the um the hawks uh, have a little bit of that we've talked Mm -hmm. before about the milwaukee bucks having a little bit of that you know just those those teams that were really consistently like high 40 to low 50 win teams for you know all every year almost every year but you know just couldn't break through because the east was dominated by you know boston then detroit then chicago right and these are the lenny wilkins uh uh, calves as well right exactly yeah so um, so the uh, the next season uh, is the 93 season. They fall a little bit. Bird retires, as we mentioned. Um, this is also Kevin McHale's last season. And they're the um, they're the fourth seed. And uh, the team doesn't change too much. I think the big change is um, the addition of Xavier McDaniel, uh, which I, I completely forgot he was on the Celtics, actually. Yeah, it too. So you're you're an Xavier, or not? You're not a Xavier man. Well, he's the X man. Yeah, I know. I, I'm always I. I, I always thought <laughs> it was. Ever come I always thought complete... it was Xavier McDaniel, but maybe I, I. No, I thought so too. But then you get no. I, I'm talking about just Xavier University or Xavier University. Well, too. I, I mean, thought... I know it is Xavier University. That one I know. Is... But he's Xavier. I'm, I'm pretty sure he is Xavier. You are wild. You have you're out of your mind. <laughs> All right. You can't. It can't be both. <laughs> I believe that sometimes words can be pronounced differently. No, no. <laughs> so, and uh, he's also named Lewis is named the captain that year. You know, another um, show, obviously, of how much they thought and respected him. And he uh, he does actually doesn't make the All Star team. Um, oddly, I mean, he he had a very similar season. Um, he kind of ended up being behind uh, Dumars, and there were three Cavs on that team. Uh, you know, it was, I think it was just more there. You know, there was an extra wing player here, an extra guard here. It was, you know, um, he just got crowded out. I, I can't see anybody um, there who was like, oh, yeah, they he should have made it ahead of them. But um, but it's still a little bit of a surprise. Um, and um yeah, I mean, and it, of course, the most notable thing is that they end up um, having the playoff series against the uh, Charlotte Hornets. 
And in the uh, first game of the series, um, Reggie ends up uh, having uh, collapsing on the floor. He has just this incredible start in the game in the first 13 minutes, um, 17 points, um, just making everything almost and, um, you know, and, and leading the team. And uh, and then suddenly he's, you know, kind of running the floor and he stumbles a little bit and then he just completely collapses. Um, they examine him and he actually does go back in for a little bit, but he's wobbly. He's taken out pretty much right away. He also comes back in the second half, but he lasted six minutes and then was unsteady again and was removed from the game for good. So, yeah. So he did after the game, he told Jackie McMullen that he was scared. He started having flashbacks to the Hank Gathers thing, of course, reference to Hank Gathers, who died playing um, for Loyola, Loyola Marymount in 1990. Um, and, uh, and another one, uh, there from that slam piece I mentioned, there is a, um, quote from Muggsy Bogues, of course, his high school teammate who was also on the floor for the Hornets at the time. And he says, I see him fall every day. I thought someone had tripped him and Johnny Newman, who played for Charlotte was trying to pick him up as he was falling. Then we went down back down on the other end, not even knowing how serious it was. And it was obviously bizarre because, you know, it just was, I mean, even watching the footage and watching kind of the announcers just, you know, just being so puzzled about what happened, thinking maybe he hurt his knee or, you know, something like that. It is very odd. Yeah. yeah. You I just mean, sort of watch him and he just kind of it does look like he his shoes got tied together or something. It's just very weird. And, yeah, he kind of goes down and it doesn't look like he's, you know, what I mean, with the Hank Gather stuff was was, you know, you watch the video of that and it's a guy like convulsing on the ground, you know, the one that eventually killed him. Yeah. And, and whereas Reggie, I mean, it, it happens and he's kind of he's on the ground and it's sort of but it's not the same sort of it. It is very it does look like he just twists his right. ankle or it, turns it's, his it's knee or weird, something like that. But it's, it's not necessarily alarming if you don't know what is happening. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, in retrospect, yeah, I could see now it's like, oh, crap. But, you know, at the time I could see people just being like, oh, OK, you know, he just kind of hmm, sure. that's weird. Yeah, that's you know, what weird, happened? Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So um, so they end up having him examined by um, they, they, they kind of put together a dream team of like a dozen cardiologists and they end up sort of diagnosing that. Um, his career is over. It's, it's really serious. Um, then he ends up leaving um, the Brigham Hospital and goes to uh, a different hospital where his wife once worked. And they found a different doctor who and, and, and a reputed doctor, but um, ended up that thinking that you know his that the problem that he had was ended up being less serious and mm -hmm. then oddly like the celtics team physician whose name's arnold scheller like kind of like goes public with a diagnosis without like the family's permission at all and saying that probably the lewises are in you know are in denial about it and um so forth and um and then Lewis talks about how angry he is about how you know, nothing should have been said about my life. You know, if I want people to know something, I feel like I have the right to give out that information, which, you know, is obviously crazy now yeah. with all the medical privacy laws um, that that would happen, you know. Um, <laughs> and, um, and and so he ends up sort of getting that examination and um, the different examinations, the different kind of um, – conflicting diagnosis and that's just kind of what we know at that point we're going to learn some things later after he dies but that's sort of where we're at mm -hmm. right there but it's, it's obviously a bizarre situation 
Yeah, and there's sort of this weird sort of infighting between, you, you know, obviously you mentioned the dream team, and then there's this other doctor that has a, what we'd find is out as a, you know, completely different diagnosis, and they have the team doctor doing this, and it, it's just, it's a very odd situation going on right now. I can't imagine, you know, reading these articles, you can tell that a lot of people are, are should we be more worried? Is it not a big deal? You know, he's not that worried, but this guy's worried. I mean, it was very, it's very strange how, you know, different information was coming out. And yeah, as you mentioned, just a completely different era where, you know, just this guy comes up and goes, yeah, here's, here's the results of his medical test right. without yeah. me telling him or, you know, anybody exactly. else. Exactly. Like, and and, and later Lewis would complain kind of about the communication that went along with that, you know, dream team thing, you know, talking yeah. about, or his wife would, cause obviously he had, he had died, but, um, you, you know, that, that being a major issue, I think Lewis might've done so during some of the interviews as well. But, mm-hmm. um, so then, um, of course, Drazen Petrovich death, uh, that summer, I believe in June, um, obviously not related in any way other than just another tragic NBA death happening around the same time. But I, you know, obviously a lot of just, crazy things happening in the nba over mm-hmm. a couple of years I mean, magic johnson that we mentioned yeah i mean just sure. crazy yeah um i mean you know losing important players and then of course the, the tragic deaths i mean obviously in the scope of how it affected the nba it, it's very small compared to the loss you know the, the, of the, the families felt and people who loved him and, and so forth but it certainly was definitely a couple of years of just like wow you know just kind of amazing um mm-hmm. <laughs> troubles the nba was having so Sure. Yeah. And, and you have two guys and, and even maybe through a Drazen who, who are guys that were sort of thought of as and I'm referring to Len Bias as well as, a, you know, guys that were really supposed to be these next flood of stars. And I think that I'm not saying that any of these guys were going to be, you know, the, the, the superstars of the NBA. But I think you did definitely see because we saw that little lull in the mid 90s and the late 90s where there wasn't those stars. And 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 there's there's something to be said for these three guys who I mean, again, were extrapolating, you know, early parts of their careers. But there's three guys that had a ton of talent and were, were great players that were done, you know, in, a, in the blink of an eye gone and and completely away and again that's completely you know that's that's so low on the bar of, of things to really worry about when when you know that we're talking about deaths but still it's, it, it's an interesting topic to to sort of look at and see you know hey how how different would have 1997's nba look if all three of these guys were still alive and and, and had lived up to their potential so absolutely so um he dies on um on uh july 27 1993 and um, he is working out. Um, he's shooting, but not it's a light practice. From everything I sort of said, they, they were just saying kind of just shooting around. Yeah, not, not nothing really that strenuous. Now it was something that he apparently didn't clear with his doctor, but it wasn't necessarily like you know he was working out strenuously. It was just he collapsed, and they tried to revive him, and and they couldn't do it. Um, and it's kind of and of course you know the city just um it, it's just he, the you know, um, mourns him. Um, I, I believe they said it was the biggest funeral in Boston at the time. I mean, um, Ted Kennedy was there. Um, Dukakis was there. Um, I believe Jesse Jackson was there. I mean, it was just a, um, you know, a, a big event for, yeah. um, you know, what happened. Um, and then we kind of learned that, like, there was a, a – they – the Lewis's went to another team of four cardiologists from – from LA and kind of uh, they were kind of leaning toward the idea that, that Lewis couldn't play basketball, but it wasn't necessarily resolved, but it wasn't like they just took the diagnosis, you know, the good diagnosis and ignored the bad one. You know, they, they kind of went into another one as well. Um, although he, you know, he was working and in, in planning to play. Um, his wife was two and a half months pregnant when he died. His first uh, child was just almost a year old, I believe. Um, 
and there's a there's a good quote from Kevin McHale saying it's not like Reggie was in a car accident. Um, he, you know, the real tragedy is that right now we should be sitting around saying Reggie has a pacemaker and can't play basketball, and that's really sad. Instead, we have to sit and mourn him. So, yeah. Um, there's also a couple of columns um, that come out like right around the time, and I believe they're um, both Boston Globe columns. One is a uh, from uh, Dan Shaughnessy, and it kind of just has like a basically a reference of the possibility. It refers to itself abuse, but that's obviously intended to be a cocaine reference. And then there's another Will McDonough column, you know, a few days later that's more overt about oh, there's going to be a bombshell about the fact that there's. Um, um, there's drugs, you know, um, yeah. going on here. So um, uh, he, he said that the doctors who examined Lewis were, were concerned that drugs might have been involved. So there were, and there was a lot of backlash that they felt from that. And it, you know, it's kind of, you know, uh, there's definitely a complicated history there because you know, would the same things be felt if it were a white athlete versus a black athlete? That kind of thing. You, it, it's just it's very hard to you know. The, the, there's so much kind of going on there, but yeah, later- and, and you can't help but I mean, I think a lot of these writers in, in the heat of the moment couldn't help but think of Len Bias, and immediately were just like, yeah. all right, dead, you know, dead black Boston Celtic, you know, potential great, you know, has to be cocaine, you know, and, and especially with the era too. I mean, the we're, we're talking about a, a time period where that was still sort of kind of an issue, you, you know what I mean? So it's it's it, it, it's very fascinating, sort of these these reaction pieces, and then sort of how they would progress later you definitely um and then um you know there's kind of there there's some more revealing that oh yeah the family had a history of heart problems that maybe lewis you know wasn't completely forthright about um and there's uh and then uh in 95 a couple years after his death but right before i believe they were gonna they were retiring his number and having a big ceremony there's a 6200 word front page story from the wall street journal by uh, ron zuskin who's a um pulitzer winner who's a you know investigative famous investigative journalist not really a sports guy um kind of um it is very speculative, uh, but mm-hmm. there are you, – you, you mean giving circumstantial evidence that maybe um, you know um, Lewis had had cocaine and co- cocaine might have been the cause or contributed to some of his heart problems and that it may have been ignored because uh, – for financial reasons, both from the Lewis family and from the Celtics. Yeah, and, and the piece is very weird because th- there is sort of that undertone, or, or you know, we we talked about a little bit off air of that narrative of the overarching is it seems like he's trying to prove that that there was cocaine use involved, but I think that the actual article itself is is very interesting because I think. And, and he's right on the money about a lot of the stuff is that the doctors and the communication between these doctors and stuff was horrible the entire time between the team, between the doctors, between Lewis, between his family. It's just that's, I think, the over, more overarching thing that I get from that. A lot of the speculation about the cocaine use is, is there, but it's not really. But the substantial thing I see is that that it was like one doctor didn't know the other. The team doctor had no idea what was going on. I mean, it's just a very uh, jumbled mess that sort of. In a lot of ways, I, I don't want to blame him 100%, but I think it contributed to him not getting the right information or not knowing either just how serious it was or, or ways to prevent it and that sort of stuff. You, you definitely get that from his article. Yeah, definitely. And then there's a big rebuttal in um, uh, from SI of uh, Jack McCollum. Basically, you know, he's able to talk to Donna Lewis um, and just sort of offers like some kind, you know, some. He talked, there, there is some talk to some of the people, like one of the people who, um, one of. I think a former college or high school teammate or friend of Lewis said that he had used cocaine and then later withdrew it. And then there was talking to some of the doctors and, and, you know, it's kind of, 
shown in sort of a different way. I mean, I, I think a lot of this stuff is like there's shades of gray of like trying to understand like why people acted the way they do. And, you know, you can come to conclusion one way or you can come to a conclusion another way and um, so on and so forth. But it was like the journal piece, because we, we, when we talked to Seth, Seth mentioned, you know, kind of a column written right afterward. And we talked about those, but I think the lawsuit that he was talking about was one that was threatened by the Celtics um, after the, the Wall Street Journal article, but never really filed. Although, um, Donna Lewis did um, end up suing some of his doctors, uh, and I believe that lawsuit ended up in a mistrial. So, um, so just so much, you know, controversy there. And, and to me, you know, the idea whether he used it cocaine or not, I don't think changes, you know, what I would what I think of him at all. I mean, I no, I, no. I get the I think there's I don't think there's much proof that he did. I mean, there you know there's some questions raised that are reasonable but uh but i mean you know he seemed like a, a very good person who did a lot of great things and he was a very good player and you know if cocaine contributed to his death or not it, it, that doesn't change any of those things as far as i'm concerned yeah no I, i'm right with you there I'm, I'm not a guy that's gonna say well you know whatever you know i don't care that he died or you know it, it, he, he you know it's his fault or anything like that i mean there's there's obviously issues but i'm sure i mean there's tons of other nba players and and, and athletes that sure. did cocaine and, and didn't and, die so you know, let's not just act like well you do cocaine right, you die exactly. so yeah you know if you're an asshole for doing cocaine i mean we're not saying that i mean that's that's not at all what it is in his situation i mean <laughs> if if he even did that which we don't right, know exactly. you know so, so. Just circumstances. Uh, real quick here, I, I, I found a few memorable games and play index goodies that I wanted to kind of talk about before we kind of wrap up our entire conclusion. Um, uh, April 12th, uh, 1991, he scores 42 points against Miami, but I thought it was pretty interesting. He had 16 to 24 from the, the field, which is pretty good. Uh, 91 playoffs, he starts, uh, he averages 15.9 uh, a game score, uh, 22.4 points per game, uh, six rebounds per game, and on 48.7% shooting. So you start seeing those 91 playoffs. We sort of mentioned it was that next year where he really. But, you know, 22 points per game, not too bad. And then um, May 10th, 1992, this is the, uh, the Eastern Conference uh, first round versus Cleveland, game seven, uh, 42 points on 16 of 28 shooting. So another, you know, high volume scoring year. Um, I thought this was very interesting, a, a little play index thing that I found um, from the 1990 to the 1993 season. So 1990 to 1991 to 92-93 season, uh, Lewis scored uh, 10 points or less only 15 times. And then during that same time frame, he scored 30 points or more 30 times. So not a guy that was going to get, uh, I mean, 15 times he only scored 10 points or less, but then 30 or more 30 times. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, like we've talked to kind of about like consistency being one of the attributes that he had, which is kind of like one of those kind of those basketball cliche or sports cliches. But really, in his case, it is kind of, you know, there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah, no. So I did uh, some studies on kind of the standard deviation of, of of his you know numbers per year, and and essentially, if you don't know what that is, it measures the amount of variation from from the average. So so how different every year? You know, his, we we look at his average and we just kind of round it up. But how you know when we kind of take into the numbers, how close were all those numbers together in giving us that that average? And it's pretty stark with, with him. And you see this with a lot of guys that are, are are fairly close. But he, as far as I could tell in my little bit of research, was one of the closest. I mean, at his career field field goal percentage had only changed 0 0.01. Uh, year to year career free throw percentage 0 0.06 um career true shooting is 0 0.06 as well effective field goal percentage 0 0.01 true shooting 0 0.02 so that's a guy who you could pretty much 
on any given year during this early part of his career, guess exactly what his field goal percentage was going to be, what his true shooting is effective. I mean, all that sort of stuff. I mean, he was consistent through and through, which is it's it's not a complete rarity to be that low, but to be that low in in, in that many categories for as long as he. I mean, it's 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 pretty telling for him, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he still played six seasons. That's a, that's a good, pretty good career. Five full seasons. Yeah, it's not a bad yeah, sample exactly. size. No, so. it's not like we're talking yeah two years here. Wow, he you know he shot the same field goal percentage in both years. I mean, this is yeah a, a fair amount of time to get this and still be as consistent as he was was is very interesting absolutely um so i i guess to kind of to close i mean we talked about this a little bit but you know what kind of track do you think he was on in his career i mean i i don't think he was quite a hall of famer but i mean he was definitely a very good player i i don't know if the celtics were a um you know they i don't think they were a title contending team unless they you know got made some good trades or had a good draft or whatever, but they certainly were, they wouldn't have probably fallen into the doldrums that they fell into in the late nineties. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the team, especially, and, and, and that's where you really look at and say, yeah, they, they would have certainly been able to, to, to be a consistent playoff team. And I mentioned that at the top of the show that I, I don't think they would have ever won a championship, really contended for a championship, but they could at least be in that sort of conversation as a consistent playoff team. As far as where he goes, it, it, it's very tough to to say because you have there's not really a good comp because there's only so many years and there's not a ton of other guys that were like that I mean you, you look at his career you look at his trajectory I mean you look at a guy like we mentioned at the top of the show a guy like Mitch Richmond who, who made the Hall of Fame um, I don't know if he was quite in that level or, or could have had that sort of consistency but he's the guy that I sort of look at as a guy that I don't think he would have been. I, I definitely think Reggie Lewis, I don't think he was going to be a superstar. I don't think he was going to be this guy that was going to lead teams to championships. But I think there's no telling that he would have been a multiple-time All-Star, you know, four or five times or whatever throughout the 90s, maybe a reserve. I don't know if he would have been an All-Star starter. But you know what I mean? That's sort of – that's kind of where I put his career trajectory at. I, I don't know if you're kind of the same. Yeah, I mean, maybe playing in Boston would have helped um, and he, given him a couple more All-Star star games than he might have had otherwise, you know, just because, of course, you know, that, that a popular team and so forth and people are going to gravitate towards so that may have helped and even if he were like a borderline hall of famer that might be something that boosted him a little you know a little sure. bit but yeah i don't think he was quite at that level but very good and and a very enjoyable player to watch for sure yeah just just sort of that outside looking in i think he's the guy that we would be having conversations with i mean if i i don't think that many people care about the basketball hall of fame unfortunately yeah. quite as much as they would but he's a guy that i think there would be a little there'd be bleach report columns all the time is you know is reggie lewis a hall of fame candidate because i think he'd be right on there on that cusp and people can make arguments and you know maybe eventually he would get in as you mentioned yeah. from the celtics but there, yeah i don't see him as a guy that retires and is an absolute shoe-in because we're we're forgetting you know he was 27 by the time he you know when he died so he wasn't super young you, Right. So you, you sort of look at that. It wasn't like a guy was 23 and was just on the cusp of becoming. I mean, we, we had sort of started to see his peak and, and he would have had a few more years of that peak. But then it's always interesting of, of how he would have adjusted. But looking at his game, he's a guy whose game I think could have adjusted to be an older guy because he played an old man's game. Like we mentioned, he played like a, you know, a 1960s player, you know, when in the 90s. So it's always interesting to see where it would be. I mean, it, I, I don't feel comfortable saying Hall of Fame, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's just sort of that that just under the cusp, I think, is is, is fair enough for him. All right. Well, uh, that's about all we have uh, on on Reggie, I believe. Uh, Rich, unless you have anything else to add? No, that's about it for me. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, of course, for uh, checking us out. You can find us on Twitter at Over and Back NBA. Uh, please um, 
But there's a link to on the bottom of this post. If you uh, would leave us a uh, rating and review on iTunes, as we mentioned before, we will. If you let us know that you've done so, we will um, uh, talk about any a basketball subject for at least two minutes on this uh, podcast. And you know, of course, we just appreciate you supporting the uh, podcast on the um, HP Basketball Network. So uh, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back again soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.